Teddy Aston is here with us, y'all. He has a book called The Golden Past and a Platinum Future. This brother is an industry insider who has documented his career in a memoir. It's a fascinating story of your career, and I'm so happy that you felt it was important enough to share this information. And let's start off by just telling everybody about your journey, man. Uh, I worked for Warner Brothers for 20 years. I was the national director of promotion and marketing. And just to kind of give you an idea of the artists that we worked, promoted, marketed, suited, and developed their careers. I'll start with Prince. Prince's first promotion or two was there in Charlotte, North Carolina. Warner Brothers gave Prince his own record label called Paisley Park. At Paisley Park Records, uh, Prince brought us March Day in the Time. I'm just cool. Sheila E. Vanity Six and a few other artists. Uh, along with those artists, uh, we I, we worked and developed and promoted Roger featuring Zap, Madonna. Madonna broke it uh, on the black radio market. Black radio broke Madonna before she became a pop superstar. I didn't know that. Uh, Quincy, yes, Quincy Jones. Uh, when Quincy Jones decided to develop a record label, uh, he came to Warner Brothers. The Warner Brothers uh, uh, gave Quincy his label for promotion and marketing and distribution. Quincy brought us Kevin Campbell. Patty Austin. And James Ingram. We also developed uh, the uh, uh, the reggae market uh, with uh, Bob Marley. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. And the Whalers and Third World. Up. Along with that, we work with Sly Stone. Thank you. When the group Sly and the Thunderstone broke up, Larry Graham was the was the bass player oh. uh, for Sly and the Family Stone. So Larry Graham went solo, and he came to Warner Brothers. On one in a million chance of a lifetime. One, he brought us. One in a million new album. That album went straight through the roof. We developed a, a, a platinum artist. And Donna Summer. Sylvester. Shaka Khan. Mm. Ashford and Simpson. Ashford and Simpson. 
George Clinton, the Funkadelic. Never missing a beat, yeah. Boy, was it neat, yeah. Not just me, deep, she was totally deep when she did the freak with me. This is Rubber Band. And let me just kind of give you a, a, a little history on the funk. Yeah. Uh, funk was so big. Warner Brothers was a very diverse record label, uh, you know, with jazz, R&B, pop, uh, country and western, eternity. We had such a diverse record label, so we were missing out on a little some of the funk. We didn't have any funk on the record label. So George Brent, George Clinton brought us Bruce's Rubber Band. Then after that, George Clinton brought us the Funkadelics. The Funkadelics brought us uh, One Nation Under Groove. National anthems. Uh, along with that, we started to develop and cross over pop music to, to the black market. Rod Stewart, do you think I'm sexy? Leo Sayer. along with Madonna and several other artists that we crossed over from the pop market. So we still, we were diversifying the record label. Then we look around, we didn't have any hip hop or R&B music. That's, Ice-T was the first hip hop artist that we signed to the record label. Wow. The cops just don't know what to do because my dope breaks through no matter what they do. My stuff gets to you kicking on the boulevard. My temple's hyped and hard. I don't ask the ice, just Bogart. Sire Records puts me out with one of my Ice see that was the beginning of our uh, rap roster. Then we looked around, looked at some other rap artists, and we looked at a record label called Cold Chilling. Cold Chilling was an independent record label. So we signed Cold Chilling record label to Warner Brothers to promote, market, and distribute their music. Cold Chilling brought us Big Daddy Kane. Well, excuse me, take a few minutes to mellow out. Big Daddy Kane is on the mic, and I'ma tell about a minimum limp of rhymes with strength and power. So listen to the man of the hour. Flow and go to a slow tip. Ben Marquis, Marley Marl. You got what I need, but you say he just a friend. And you say he just a friend. Oh, baby! Yeah. And the real Shantae. You know, there's a lot of Shantae's running around. <laughs> I remember that. But, 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 but we had the real Shantae. If he so that was our entry into the hip hop market. Along with that, uh, when the Doobie Brothers uh, broke up, Michael McDonald was the lead singer for Doobie Brothers, so Michael McDonald wanted to stay with Warner Brothers, and we developed his career. Along with that, we signed Al B. Short. Karen White. 
George Benson. Let me give you a short story about George Benson. Okay. Uh, when we when we signed George Benson to the label, uh, George Benson was known as a as a as a jazz guitarist, great jazz artist, yeah. great jazz musician, but he had never did anything solo. He had never sung on an album, so he brought us the album Breezing. And on the breathing album was the hit mega record This Masquerade. Mm. That was his first mega superstar uh, gold and platinum album. Are we really happy here with this lonely game we play? Looking for words to say. And from that point on, uh, George Benson not only was a great jazz guitarist, but he was also known as a soloist as well. Uh, along with uh, that, Earl Clue, Bob James, Four Play. The Four Play album was one of the greatest jazz albums that we've ever signed. Mm. Four Play comes. Four play consisted of Bob James, Ridley Rittenau, Nathan East, and Harvey Mason. Still one of my favorite jazz albums of all time. Along with that, we can continue our jazz journey. Uh, We signed Al Jarreau. Al Jarreau was a big superstar in Europe, but nobody, nobody never heard anything about him in the United States. So we developed Al Jarreau's career and, you know, the rest is history. David Sanborn. Uh, when the Isley Brothers broke up, uh, Ronald Isley came over to Warner Brothers. I wanna love you. Yeah, yeah. Over and over again. I wanna see. We had Joe Sample, Rose Royce, Frankie Beverly. When Frankie Beverly was with Capitol Records, but he never had a number one album. And he never had a gold single, mm. gold record. So when he came to Warner Brothers, we gave him a number one album, and yep. his record crossed over to the pop market. Jennifer Holiday, she was a Broadway star in the Dream Girls. Uh, so we signed Jennifer Holiday to a solo career, and she brought us. And I'm telling you, I'm not going anywhere. That's right. She was, she was the famous female artist of the year uh, after recording that. Along with that, Keith Washington, uh, we signed him. Atlantic Star, Jasmine Guy, The Force MDs, Club Nouveau, and the Tom Tom Club DJ, just to name a few. Man, that is, that is amazing. I want to go back to your intimate, close relationship with Prince, guys. Prince was one of the most mysterious artists in black music, but also one of the most beloved by, you know, all types of people. How did you guys get close? When Warner Brothers signed Prince, Warner Brothers used to send out these test presses. You may remember test presses. They were vinyl, and a lot of them didn't have no label on them. 
Right. Uh, the Warner Brothers just to send those to us. I think it was the way BJ of them really wanted to know if we were listening to new music before it was released. Mm. So when Warner Brothers sent out the uh, test pressing on Prince, I'm listening to this album, BJ, and I'm like, oh my God, this is some of the freshest music that I've ever heard. Mm. First thing I did, picked up the phone, called Warner Brothers and said, who is this artist singing soft and wet? They said, that's the artist that we signed. His name is Prince. Prince who? Just Prince, Daddy Prince. He, he, he played all the instruments on the album. He wrote all the lyrics. He produced the album. And he brought it to us on a silver platter. But prior to that, uh, BJ, several record labels had turned Prince down. Mm. They, didn't, they, they, didn't, they didn't feel like he was he, their roster. Give me one of the most noted record labels that turned him down was RSO Records. Mm. RSO Records had the Bee Gees. The, the Bee Gees was on fire. Wow. Yvonne Elliman, the Gear Brothers, they also had a record out called the Disco Duck. <laughs> yeah. So... So if they got a disco duck, why do they need a prince? <laughs> right. so, <laughs> so so Prince came to the label and so I was just excited to hear this 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 new music that I'd never heard before. The kind of music that I'd never heard before. So the first thing I wanted to do was bring Prince to Charlotte. I was in, based in Charlotte at the time. Yes. I wanted to bring Prince to to Charlotte for a promotional tour. Warner Brothers fought me all the way. They said, no, Teddy, no, no, no. I, we don't think it's a good idea. Why not? He doesn't talk. And if he doesn't talk, it may do more harm than good because we don't want to turn anyone off. I said, look, I got this. Let me do it. Okay, Teddy, we're going to let you do this. What you need? I said, I need 50 albums for every black radio station in North and South Carolina. That's a lot. What? <laughs> That's about 6,000 albums, Teddy. Okay. What else you need, Teddy? I need to buy advertising at every black radio station in North and South Carolina. That'd be around 25,000, Teddy. I know. <laughs> we need to do this. <laughs> and, and the thing about it, what made it so phenomenal, once we produced a spot for Prince, I wanted everybody to know. BJ, just back up a little bit. It was around Thanksgiving. Okay. So WGIV in Charlotte always did a, a, a food drive for the food banks around Thanksgiving weekend. Right. So it's, so it's around October. Album just been released in September. It's around October. So I said, I want to bring Prince to Charlotte to help with the food drive for the homeless, for the food banks, and people that may need food. And so, Teddy... Man, that's going to cost a ton of money. Because advertising, you want advertising at every radio, black radio station in North South Carolina? I said, yes. And the reason that I want advertising at every station, because I want in the spot to let everybody know if they want to meet Prince, he's going to be in Charlotte on Thanksgiving weekend. And if you want to meet him, if you want to get his autograph, uh, all you got to do is bring non-perishable food. Yeah. Oh, okay. What else you need, Teddy? I'm going to need two tractor trailers. What? <laughs> Teddy, done, Teddy done lost his mind. <laughs> so why do you need two tractor trailers full of food? I mean, uh, why do you need two tractor trailers? I said, we're going to have so much food. we got to have some place to put it. Wow. Well, 
if he's successful, he's right. DJ. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Traffic backed up. I-85. Mm. I-77. O-77. Brookshire Freeway. Wow. All the it's, all the side streets was backed up. Everybody is trying to get to WGIB radio station to meet Prince. Mm. So, three days before Thanksgiving, Prince, I, 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 I wanted him there three days prior to so we can make sure we're on the same page and do some, you know, just kind of kick it around a little bit. So I met him at the airport. He said, Teddy, um, it's good to meet you. I heard a lot about you, and I'm looking forward to working with you. I said, oh, good to meet you as well, Prince. Looking forward to working with you as well. He said, what do you want me to do? I said, here's the itinerary. He said, okay, I can do that. I can do that, Teddy. He said, uh, Teddy, I only have one request. I said, what's your request, Prince? He said, after we finish, will you take me to the movies to see Superman? I said, sure, I'll take you to see Superman. <laughs> because BJ, every holiday, major holiday, the big blockbuster movies come out. Right, right. And that that weekend was the premiere of the new Superman movie. So that's all he wanted out of the whole weekend. Mm. Of course we of course we can do that, Prince. So the day of Thanksgiving Day, the, the traffic is backed up everywhere and here comes the state patrol. What's going on over here? Who's in charge? Why is everybody trying to get here? Everybody looked at me and said, Teddy, he's with Warner Brothers. Uh, he's in charge here. And the, the state patrol said, well, what a while are all these people trying to get here? I said, they come here to meet Prince. Prince who? <laughs> Nobody told us. Nobody told us a prince would be in town. Where's the king, Where's the king and the queen? Well, I left, the, <laughs> I left the king and the queen at the hotel. I didn't want to cause too much of a confusion. Yeah. So I just brought the prince. Wow. <laughs> he said, okay, okay, okay. He said, next time you do something like this, we got to know. We got to let the mayor know. We got to let the governor know. The royalty is going to be here. We got a prince coming to town. You can't have a prince. We can't have a prince coming to town and us not know. We have to prepare for this traffic. Right, right. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. Wow. I, I totally agree. And I promise you I would do that. He said, here's my card. Anytime you got something like that going on, you give me a call. I said, I, I promise you I will. And I did. Wow. But so by this time, the food drive is winding down. The tractor trailers are full of food. And we had we had to bring in another one because there was so much food. So many, so many people bought so much food. That's correct. And the key to that was having that ever that mentioned in my advertising to let everybody know Prince got a brand new album. And if you want to meet him, come to Charlotte Thanksgiving Day, bring non-perishable cans of food, and you can get his autograph. I didn't know. And that. a copy of his album. Yes. Man, I've been living. Yes. In, I've been in Charlotte since 1995. I never knew this story at all. I didn't know Prince did something that major in Charlotte. That's crazy, man. Yes, yes. And that's, that was history so, making. That's history making because that kind of promotion had never been done on radio before. And BJ, it was the mid-70s. Warner Brothers had never spent that kind of money on nobody. Mm. Rock, rock and roll artists, top 40 artists, country western artists. It was unheard of. Wow. 
It was unheard of, but they took the chance. That weekend, after that weekend, I had my sales manager. Uh, he said, okay, Teddy, you got all this advertising going on. What you going to need? What are you going to need? I said, probably we're going to need about 10,000 albums in North Carolina, 10,000 albums in South Carolina to make sure that every record store and distributor in, in, in those markets have plenty of French products. DJ. Yeah. Monday morning, there wasn't a Prince album, cassette, or eight track nowhere in North Carolina mm. or South Carolina. Man. Every store was sold out. Amazing. And and the the, the state patrols and so after the after the uh after the uh, the uh autograph session ended with Prince, I said, uh we are uh uh I said, Can you escort us over to Charlottetown Mall to the theater? State Patrol said, yeah, I'll escort y'all over there. Because with all the traffic, we'd have never gotten out of that. The State Patrol escorted us to Charlottetown Mall to see the movie. The rest is history. After that weekend, Warner Brothers, we spreaded that album all over the country. That was the breaking point right there for Prince. And it started right in Charlotte. Nobody, man, that's an amazing story. You, you, you're like a marketing genius, and we would never know this story, brother, if you didn't write this book. I, I thank you again, because this book to me is a blueprint of how you make it in the industry. Because you worked yourself up from the mailroom at Warner Brothers Records to the boardroom. And you got promotion after promotion because you kept doing things like you did for Prince. Tell us some of the other things that you did that made you stand out at the record label. Well, let me back up a little second for you here. Okay. I didn't start in the mailroom. I started in the warehouse. Whoa. Then I was promoted to the uh, supervisor of the mailroom because uh, the mailroom was kind of in chaos at the time. Okay. I was responsible for making sure that every radio station around the country got the proper music for their format. Okay. They needed leadership in the mailroom because they were just mailing out records. Right. It didn't say, well, this is a top 40 station. This is what they should get. This is a black radio station. This, they should be getting R&B music. They were just mailing stuff out. So, um, so basically, so finally, the radio stations are getting the proper music for their format. They're calling Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. We're finally getting the music for our format. What did y'all do? They wow. said, well, we have a young man there named Teddy Aston, and everybody's complimenting him. So, uh, not only they said, not only are we getting the right music for our format, but it's properly packaged. Mm. Because back then we were shipping out albums in forty five, and if it wasn't properly packaged, then by the time the radio station got it, it was broke or yeah. either walked. Yeah. yeah. So they couldn't play it anyway. So that was, uh, so when Warner Brothers stopped, decided to get into the black music industry, uh, because at the time, when I was in the mailroom, Warner Brothers was known as a, as a country western and a rock and roll record label. Very successful. Mm-hmm. Very successful. Uh, they, the only black artist that Warner Brothers had at the time was Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. And he, he was a rock and roll artist. They had the Rat Pack. Sammy Davis, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. 
they had Country Western, the Marsha Tucker Band, and and all those other uh, successful artists. So they were very successful with what they were doing, but they didn't have any black artists. But and within our corporation, the corporation was called WIA. Yeah. W for Warner, E for Electric, A for Atlantic. W-E-A, Warner Electric Atlantic. Now, our sister label, Atlantic Records, man, they was killing it with black music. Mm. Man, DJ, they had Aretha Franklin. Mm. They, had, they had the Spinners. They had Roberta Flack. They had Dunn Hathaway. They had Betty Wright, Ray Charles, Wilson Pickett, the Sister, sister Sledge, and on and on and on. Hey, so Teddy, we, we're Teddy. part of the... Teddy, I want to stop you real quick. Give me the timeline of your career being involved in this. I want to, I want everybody to have a timeline uh, of a timestamp of from what year to what year all this was going on. Okay, I started working in the White House at Warner Brothers in 1974. Wow. 1976, I was promoted to the supervisor of the mailroom. In 1978, Warner Brothers decided to get into the black music business. There I was. Everyone complimenting Warner Brothers, uh, complimenting me, uh, telling Warner Brothers that they're finally getting the music that they need for their format. So around 1978, Warner Brothers decided to get into the black music business. Okay. And they were saying, look, we got to get into the black music business because our sister label over the Atlantic is rocking and rolling in black music. And you got all of these black soundtracks out here selling millions, like Superfly, like Chef soundtrack, mm. the Mac. It, they, 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 they're selling these records. So one of those is sitting here. We don't have no black music. We got to we we have to build a black music roster. First, we have to get how the best black music staff in the country. So. They went around the country hiring, hiring uh, uh, staff for the different regions, Philadelphia, D.C., L.A., Chicago, Detroit, Atlanta. So here I am uh, in the mailroom. So the boss called up, the, the senior vice president of Warner Brothers called up and said, Teddy, we're going to develop a black music department and we want you to be on our staff. We want you to be part of this black music dynasty. Mm. We have one position open uh, in that Charlotte, North Carolina. Would you like to move to Charlotte? Of course. I was in Charlotte in two weeks, uh, BJ. They wow. said, we want you to go to Charlotte, and we want you to develop the black music market for North and South Carolina. And Prince was one of my first major promotions that I did. I did several big promotions. Uh, uh, in Charlotte because the Carolinas had never seen that type of intensity in promotion. And the pop radio stations wanted to know why all the black radio stations was getting so much attention. <laughs> because they wanted you. to know because of me. They yeah. said, That's, that Teddy, he's over there. He's with Warner Brothers. They're creating all of this excitement. They're doing Warner Brothers weekend. They're bringing artists to town for promotional tours. They're bringing artists in town for a radio station's anniversary. I'm all over the place, BJ. Man. All over the place. And you know, Teddy, so, during that mm -hmm. time, was the it was the glamour and the mystique of these artists that you're talking about, right? Because when you met an artist, you were really in awe 
because you all made these artists bigger than life. And I heard you say this in the book that you had to build these artists from the ground up. We didn't have no social media. Yeah. We didn't have all this stuff we got. Y'all no. building from brick by brick, man. And, and, that, and that's, a, that's a good part about it because, you know, uh, later in, in, in some of these artists' careers, they wasn't having success at the record labels that they were at. So they saw all the success we were having with breaking new artists. Some of the few of the established artists came over. Yeah. Miles Davis came over. The legend. Frankie Beverly came over. The legend. Atlanta Star came over. Legends, man. But they never saw the type of success with their record label that we were having at Warner Brothers. So we're in 1978. By, by the time 1980 rolls around, a BJ, I'm promoted to the National Director of Promotion. Wow. The Warner Brothers moved me to Washington, D.C. One of my most memorable promotions was with Bob Marley. Uh, Bart Marley just had released his album. That was his first album with Warner Brothers. Mm, okay. Okay. The album, the album was entitled Survival. On the album cover was a flag of every country in Africa. And there was a lot of racism and apartheid going on in South Africa at the time. Right. And Bart Marley wanted to bring attention to all the racism and apartheid that was happening in South Africa. He put a flag of every country in South Africa on the cover of his album, on his album cover. So now I'm in Washington, D.C. Bob Marley uh, releases a new album. They say, okay, we got to do this real big here. Uh, Teddy, we need to say, we need to kick out Bob Marley's promotional tour. We wanted to start in Washington, D.C., where you are. Okay, be happy to. Uh, man, I went to work, uh, BJ, uh, making sure that every radio station in Maryland, uh, Virginia, North Carolina, Philadelphia, uh, D.C., all those surrounding areas that are saturated with promotions and album giveaways, and contest. Yeah. Uh, so Bob Marley comes to town, and uh, BJ, I got everybody there, even people from the White House, mm. Congressional Black uh, Caucus there, senators, uh, Congress people, uh, radio and retail people in Philly, New York, uh, Virginia, Baltimore, all over the place. And it was such a big turnout, such a success, BJ. After the promotional party that night, uh, it was around midnight, everything winding down, everybody's leaving. Bob Marley's done autographs for all of my guests, uh, winding and dining, champagne, spirits, others, just having a great time. Yeah. So the party's winding down. Bob Marley said, Teddy, uh, Man, this is the best promotional party, uh, an album new release presentation that I've ever had in my life. Wow. He said, would, would you like to come up to my suite? Uh, and about, oh, you know, once everybody leaves, uh, I'd like to talk to you. Just kind of kick it around a little bit. So, of course, I'd be honored, uh, Bob, Bob Marley. 
so we go up to the suite, BJ. Bob Rose, Bob Barley rolls a fat one. <laughs> <laughs> right. He hits it. He hits it, and he passes it to me. I hit it. Yeah. And I'm and I'm trying to maintain my composure and <laughs> my my breath and <clears throat> <clears throat> so he uh, I pass it back to him and by that time I'm composed. Yeah. He said, Teddy, this is the best party that I've ever had in my career and I've been recording at that time over twenty years. Wow. He said he said, Do you ever come to Jamaica? I said, Of course I come to Jamaica. Are you ready? take my family to Jamaica every year. He said, what part of Jamaica do you you visit? I said, you live in the grill. He said, man, Teddy, that's only 10 miles from my home. He said, "He said next time you want to come to Jamaica, I got you. He said, I'm going to have my guide come over to your resort and show you the real Jamaica. Wow. He said, along with that, I want, uh, I want them to take you by my childhood home when we went by his home, they stopped the tour hmm. of his home, BJ, for me and my family to visit his home. Wow. Uh, if, if you look in the book, uh, my wife and I are sitting on his bed. That's yeah. the bed he, when he was a child growing up. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, he's like, man, he's like, Teddy, I really, really appreciate you, and I want to show you my appreciation, BJ. And, and, the, and the thing about it, BJ, what make my, you know, when I started writing my book, I had all of these photos. I saved all of my photos. That's wonderful. And a lot of them I had restored, and I had them digitized. So when I decided to write my book, I'm looking at all of these photos, BJ, BJ and every photo has a story. Mm, they sure do. I wouldn't have been able to write the book if I, I, I would, maybe I would have wrote a book, but it would not have had the... Uh, uh, wouldn't have gathered the attention that it has without all the photos. People can always say, oh, I knew so-and-so, I knew so-and-so, I did this, I met that person. But when you got the photos and the stories and, and, and to write about it in depth, that's what made it, made it easier for me to write my book. It took me a year and a half to write it. Teddy, there's so much information in there. It should be required reading for people who want to be music executives and want to be in the in- entertainment industry because I'm telling you, man, you you are one of a kind dude. And I've been knowing you for a minute. I had no idea what you had done of, of some of these miraculous events and promotions that you put on. Tell me one thing because I know. And look, y'all, and this is just the first, just a little bit of the book. You know what I'm saying? This thing got 59. This thing got 59 chapters, and in each chapter, it is the headline of the artist. Like you say, like uh, Bootsy Collins or Karen White or Sylvester Adonis Summer. He writes extensively about his relationship and the things he's done. So you got to get this book and pick it up. But what does it take to make it in the world of entertainment today, according to your standards? Because your standards are high, brother. Well, I don't think the industry, music industry, has my standards right now. Wow! Um, wow! Be, because because of uh, social media, uh, they depend on that a lot, and they uh, just don't do the type of promotions that I was allowed to do. They don't have the budgets that I was allowed to uh, to promote and market. 
They don't send artists out on promotional tours like they used to. And they certainly don't do the promotions that I did on my level. And I required my staff to do the same thing. Now, I would encourage anyone that's considering getting into the music industry. However, it's, I, I do give a lot of the young artists these days a lot of credit because a lot of them try to, you know, the early, you know, the, the 50s, 60s, uh, early 70s, a lot of artists didn't know anything about the music industry. Yeah. All they wanted to do was just be on a record label. Right. You know, I'm, I'm with Motown. I'm with this label. I'm with that label. You know, the Celamine album, you get a Cadillac. <laughs> you know, um, but, <laughs> but they, didn't, they didn't know anything about publishing. And that's what the real money is. Yeah. Publishing. And, and I, would, I, would, I would encourage anyone that's looking to get into the music industry is know the business of the business. Yes. It ain't just about it ain't just about singing and recording. You gotta know the business. Right. You gotta be able to control your music. You gotta be able to control your royalty. You have to be able to control your publishing. And it's a lot easier right now because of social media now, BJ. A lot of these artists now, you know, you can, they can go and record their their music. They don't necessarily have to be on a record label because there's so many streaming services to post their music. We want people to definitely get the book. We want them to get the book, Teddy. Tell them how to get that book again. The book website is www.tougfact.net. T-O-U-G-H-A-C-T dot net. Toughact.net. It's like a tough fact to follow. It's like when you're listening to BJ, BJ Murphy. Yeah, right. That BJ, <laughs> that BJ Murphy, that BJ Murphy is a tough fact to follow. <laughs> I totally agree. Toughact.net. And if you want to send me an email, just send it to Teddy, T-E-D-D-Y, at toughact.net, BJ. And I appreciate you so very much uh, for having me on your show today. 